you want to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 3, someone once said that there is little happiness in the world because there is little knowledge of Christ in the world. Do you find this to be true? We pursue all sorts of things to try to make us happy. It might be money, it might be success, it might be popularity, it might be certain types of relationships, it might be getting our kids to behave a certain way. We spend much of our time and energy and resources trying to find happiness. So the question I have for you today is this. Are you really and truly happy? And if not, why not? Paul was a joy-filled and happy man. And that's because he knew where to find happiness. Yes, there were all sorts of things that brought him joy, but he understood that at the heart of all of those things there was One thing. There was one thing he needed to pursue over all others. And as he pursued that one thing, he grew in joy and he grew in happiness. So what is the one thing that you are pursuing above all others in your life to grow in joy and in happiness? What do you spend your time and your resources on? There is only one pursuit that is worthy of all of our effort and energy. There is only one thing that will truly make you happy and bring you great joy. What is it? Well, let's read Philippians 3, verses 12 through 21 to find out. So I encourage you to stand for the reading of the word. This is the word of God given to us in love, and it is absolutely true. Not that I have already obtained this or am already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. Because Christ Jesus made me his own. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do. Forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthy things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like his glorious body, by the power that enables him even to subject all things to himself. Let us pray. Oh Lord, we are grateful for your word. We know that it is true. We know that it can transform us and to make us more and more like Jesus. And so Lord, we pray this morning that we might know him better and that we might be changed. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Please be seated. So last week, David Sawyer led us through the first half of chapter 3, and in verses 10 through 11 of chapter 3, Paul tells us what his greatest desire is. This is his deepest desire. It is to know Christ. It is to know the power of his resurrection. It is to share in his sufferings. Ultimately, he also wants to become more like Jesus himself. So in summary, Paul wants wants to know Jesus more deeply and more intimately, and he wants to become more conformed to the image of Christ. That is Paul's one thing. And that should be your one thing too. Is your greatest desire to know Jesus more deeply 
and to become more like Him. Paul expands upon this in, in the verses before us this morning, in verses 12 through 21. And in order for us to pursue this one thing, to pursue this greatest desire, we need to have a new mindset, and that begins with humility. Look at verse 12. He says, Paul says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own because Christ Jesus has made me his own. So Paul makes an amazing omission here. This is an amazing confession. I'm not perfect. Not only is Paul not perfect, but he's not yet obtained his goal. His goal is to know Christ and to, to reflect Christ in how he lives. And so he makes this confession that he's not perfect, he's not attained this goal. He does this for two reasons. First, just because Paul is an apostle does not mean that he's some super Christian or super saint. No, Paul is a sinner. He has fallen short, he's failed. He is still running this, this faith, running this race of faith, just like the Christians in Philippians are. He is a fellow pro- pilgrim on the way. And this is to not only be an encouragement to the saints at Philippi, but it should be an encouragement to you as well. Whenever you read about godly men and women in the Bible, you, you read about their faithfulness, you read about how God works in and through their lives, but you also read about their failures and their shortcomings and their sin. And that should encourage you. Because even the most devout and godly men and women struggle. Paul struggled. He still had work to do. He still could grow in his knowledge of Jesus. And he could still grow also in his sanctification. The second reason why Paul shares this confession is that he's contrasting himself with some false teachers that have come into the church. There are are false teachers that have come in to to Philippi making this claim that you could reach this state of perfection, that you could be perfect if only you had enough faith, if only if you worked hard enough, you could become perfect. Well, think about the implications of that teaching. It had many people discouraged. Why? Because they weren't perfect and they knew they would never be perfect because they continued to sin. And as hard as they tried, they could never get beyond their sin. Perfection seemed like an impossible goal. And that is because it is. It is an impossible goal if we pursue perfection in our own strength. However, the heart behind this desire is actually good. Because as Christians, we should long to be free. Free from our sin, free from our shortcomings, free from our failure. We want to be more and more like Jesus. We should desire to be perfect because Jesus is perfect. And the promise of the gospel is that through Christ, you will be perfect. That is what God requires of us. And since we cannot accomplish that ourselves, we need Jesus. That is why Jesus was sent. One of the reasons why he was sent was to make us perfect. However, we will not actually reach that state of perfection until we are finally with Jesus face to face. You see, these false teachers, they believe that they could experience glorification right here and now. They believe that all of these future promises belong to them and they could experience it in the here and now. So Paul corrects this thought by reflecting upon his own life. Paul, he's an apostle of Jesus Christ. He met Jesus on the road to Damascus in a very powerful way. Jesus spoke directly to him and commissioned him to be the apostle to the Gentiles. 
Not only that, but Paul, by the Spirit, became author of the very Word of God. And yet, Paul, even Paul, had not reached perfection. Why? It's because he lives in a fallen world and he is still wrestling with his fallen nature, with his sinful flesh. There will come a day when he reaches the state of perfection, but that will not happen until the moment he passes from this world and he is with Jesus. Until that day comes, there is still work to be done. There is still growth in Christ-likeness to take place. And this is true for all of us as well. This is true for you. I know that this comes as a surprise to most of you, but you are not perfect. You will be one day, but until that day comes, you have room to grow. You have work to do. Unfortunately, we still find this uh, teaching in the church today. There are teachers today that claim that you can become perfect, that you can reach this state of perfection as long as you try hard enough, as long as you have enough faith. And this teaching only causes discouragement and frustration. It causes many people to walk away from the faith. Because no matter how hard we try, no matter how much faith we think we have, we never become perfect. We never reach that goal. There was one Sunday morning when a man was visiting another church and he heard the preacher during his sermon make this claim about himself. The preacher claimed that you know, he had found the secret to life, and he had become perfect. He was perfect like Jesus was perfect. So this man approached the pastor after the service and, and came to him in humility and asked him this question. He said, do you mind if I ask your wife what she thinks about your level of perfection? And the minister's answer was like, well, you can ask her, but she doesn't believe in that doctrine yet. And well, Why? It's because she lives with him. She knows him. She knows his sin. She knows that he is not perfect. You see, in order to believe that you can achieve perfection on on this side of heaven, two things have to happen. One, you need to, to make light of sin, and you need to make light of the holiness of God. The more that we understand the depths of our sin, the more that we understand the infinite holiness of God, the more we realize how far we fall short of God, the more we realize how far we fall short of perfection. Only Jesus was able to be perfect. Only Jesus was without sin, and that is exactly why we need Him. That is why Paul goes on to say that Jesus Christ made me His own. Paul's ultimate goal, his one thing, is to know Jesus and to know Him more. Because that is the definition of perfection. To be perfect means to be like Jesus. And Paul knows he can't do this. He will never accomplish this goal in his own strength. And therefore he needs Jesus. Jesus is the one who chose him. He is the one who changed him. And he is the one who will perfect him. And that is true for all of us. If we are following Christ, the only hope of us becoming more like Jesus, the only hope of us eventually becoming perfect is Jesus. He has made you his own, and he will make you like himself. Paul recognizes his utter dependence upon the Lord, and therefore he's realistic about his true state. Unlike these false teachers who claim perfection, Paul was humble. He saw his weaknesses, he saw his shortcomings, he saw his sin. 
the truth that Jesus made you his own is, is foundational to everything that follows in this passage. Because if we don't understand this, we, we miss the whole point. Because Paul is going to go on and, and give us a bunch of commands and exhortations, things that we are expected to do. And we need to realize that we can do none of those things apart from Jesus. And then we see this starting in verses 13 and 14 where Paul says, do not consider, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. So here we see Paul's one thing. This is the one thing that he must do above all others. This is the one thing he desires to do above all other desires in his life. And what is it? It is to press on toward the goal. As Christians, that should be our one thing too. We are called to press on toward the goal. But what does that mean? Well, the goal is what David preached on last week. It is to to know Jesus. Not to know about Jesus, but to know him personally, to know him deeply, to know him relationally. That is our goal. We are called to press on to know Jesus better. So how do we do that? Well, it takes work. It takes grace-fueled effort. Because you cannot work enough. You cannot put forth enough effort in your own strength to accomplish this goal apart from Jesus. It is only because Jesus has made us his own. It is only because he has given us his Holy Spirit that we are able to press on. And so we press on in humility. We press on in, in utter dependence upon the Lord. But we do press on. Paul then goes and gives us two encouragements on how we are to press on. And the first is this, don't look back. We see that in verse 13. We are to press on by forgetting what lies behind. Now, all of us have things in our past that we wish we didn't have, right? There are things that we wish we had not done. There are things in our past that we wish we had done that we hadn't done. We wrestle with guilt and shame. There are times we, we probably ask ourselves and wonder out loud, like, if only I hadn't done that one thing, my life would be better. Or if only I had done this thing, my life would be so much better. And some of you here may have deep pain and hurt in your past. There are things that have left a permanent mark upon you. There are things that have happened in your past that you will never, ever forget. Now, Paul is not telling you here simply to forget those things. He's not telling you here, like, here to, you just need to suck it up and, and, and press on. No. Paul understands how the gospel transforms your past. The gospel frees you from your past. In Christ, you are a new creation. Your past no longer defines who you are. So let me say that again. Whatever guilt, whatever shame, whatever pain you have in your past, whatever trauma you've experienced, it does not define you. And it also does not determine your future because Jesus defines you and he is the one who determines your future. Your past does not have to determine the rest of your life because the gospel is bigger and more powerful than your past. Jesus loves you with a healing and transforming love. Now, that doesn't mean that you may have to carry consequences of your past with you the rest of your days. You may have pain from your past that you're going to never fully get rid of. And you may have memories that are going to carry on with you forever. But you can now view them through the lens of the gospel and you can rest in the arms of a caring and tender Savior. 
So what Paul is saying here is not to forget about those things in the past, but what he is saying is don't let your past deter you from being able to press on and to grow in Christ-likeness and to get to know Jesus more. As a matter of fact, it's those painful, those hurtful things from our past that should drive us to press on, that should drive us to want to know Jesus better. Now Paul is also saying don't let your past be an excuse for not seeking to grow. This exhortation not only applies to the, the negative and the hard and, and the painful things from our past, but it, it can also apply to the, the good things from our past. You see, sometimes we are tempted to live in what we call the glory years. One of my favorite characters from the movie Napoleon Dynamite is Uncle Rico. If you've ever seen those, that movie, he is this middle-aged man who lives in a van and he spends his days filming himself throwing a football. And that's because he played football in high school and he just always wondered, like, if, if only the coach had put me in, we would have won state. Surely we would have won state. And he tells his you know, nephew things like, you see those mountains over there? I can throw a football over those mountains. He is living in the past. He's living in the glory days while lamenting his present. Matter of fact, he's actually a, a really sad character. And so another way to understand this is Paul is commanding us or telling us not to be an Uncle Rico Christian. Don't spend all of your time and energy on the way things used to be. Don't be the person who's always saying, well, we used to do things this way. Or we've always done it this way. We need to be open to change in direction. The church should always be seeking to reform. So press on. Don't let the glory days hold you back. The other encouragement that Paul gives us is to continue to look forward. We are to press on by straining forward to what lies ahead. And and what lies ahead? We see this in verse 14. He says, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. God is calling you to enter his very presence through his Son. God wants you to be in heaven with him. And that is only possible through Jesus. And because of Jesus, it is guaranteed. That is the prize that awaits you as a follower of Christ, that you will be with God for the rest of eternity in his presence. And this should encourage you and motivate you to press on. And as we press on towards the goal of knowing Christ more and more, we actually become more and more like him. We are sanctified. And that's the other blessing of this pursuit. So when we look at this passage as a whole, Paul is using this racing metaphor. He's saying, as Christians, you are in a race, and that race, it's not a sprint. It is a marathon. It is going to be for the entirety of your life. And in order to run this race well, you need to not look back, and you need to keep your eyes on the prize, on the finish line. Always have that in view. The gospel releases you from the past, and it gives you a glorious future, so press on with grace-fueled effort and humility and utter dependence upon the Lord. The false teachers, they were claiming perfection. But Paul is reminding us to look to Jesus, the only one who is perfect. And to rejoice in the fact that there is coming a day. There is coming a day when you will be like him. And you will also be perfect. Now Paul hopes that the Philippians understand this truth and that it brings them great joy. He also hopes that the false teachers, that they would also come to see this truth as well. 
And we see a glimpse of this in verse 15 when he says, Let those of us who are mature think this way, and if, any, if, in, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that also to you. Paul is actually using a play on words in here. If you look at it in the Greek, he, he really is saying, let those, when he says those who are mature, he's saying those who are, are perfect, in quotation marks, those who claim to be perfect, he's hoping that they will eventually come to a point where they think properly, and he trusts that God will be the one that will eventually correct their teaching. And there's a lesson for us as well. And that is this, are you teachable? If God shows you something different than what you believe, are you willing to change your beliefs based upon God's Word? We are called to hold true to what we have attained. This means that the truth that God has already revealed to us, that's your anchor. Do not waver from it. His Word is trustworthy and true. You don't need any new revelation. You don't need to follow some new church fad. You need the Word of God. And we should seek not to conform the Word to our will. We need to seek to conform our will to the Word. And whenever you discover that your will is out of alignment with the Word of God, are you willing to change? Paul is hoping that the false teachers and their followers will change and hold fast to what is actually true. And because Jesus has made you his own, press on to know him more deeply. And you do that by pursuing humility. You do that uh, with grace-fueled efforts. And you do that by being teachable and holding true to the Word of God. But we also are encouraged to do that by following the right people, by having the right examples in our lives. And we see this in verse 17 when Paul writes, Join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. So Paul is exhorting the church to, know, to press on to know Christ more deeply. And we do this um, <clears throat> by, with humility and by dependence on the Lord. But we also do this by watching other believers that are more mature than us and seeing how they follow Jesus. There are plenty of saints that are mature in their faith and are pressing on well. So watch them. Follow them. Don't just simply listen to their words, but see how they apply the Word of God to their lives. See how the Word of God makes a difference in how they live out each day. Now, we need to be careful here because Paul is telling us to use him or other godly men and women as an example to imitate him as they walk with the Lord, but we're not to do this blindly. I don't want anyone here leaving today to think that the primary message is just to be like Paul. Because that's wrong. We are to be like Christ. We are to be like Jesus. Paul was a sinner. He was a flawed man. However, God does place people in our lives. He places godly men and women in our lives that can help us in our pursuit to be more like Jesus. They are examples to us in how they walk with the Lord. But we need to remember that they are imperfect examples. So we also need to be discerning. Paul says elsewhere in 1 Corinthians, be imitators of me as I am of Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, follow my example as long as I'm following Jesus. If I'm not following Jesus, then ignore me. And that is what he's saying here as well. Follow, find godly men and women to follow. Men and women who love Jesus, have a mature faith, and follow them. But when they fail to follow Jesus... Ignore them. Don't follow them down that road. Now, this begs a couple of questions for us. First is, do you have godly men and women in your life that you can imitate? Men and women who are mature in their faith, who love Jesus, and are further along in their walk with Him than you. Do you have people that you can follow, that you can imitate? If not, why not? 
don't ever fall into the trap of thinking that you don't need mentors, that you don't need others to help you in your walk with the Lord. We, need, we all need people who can challenge us and encourage us and guide us as we pursue growing in Christ-likeness. And so who are the people in your life that you look up to? Who are your examples? Second, this also begs the question, are you following Jesus in such a way that you can be an example to other younger believers? Because you are always being watched. People not only listen to their words, they see how you live. They see what impact God's word has on your life. What kind of example are you setting for others? Unfortunately, there can be bad examples in the church as well. And that's what Paul says in verses 18 and 19. He says, For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you, even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction, their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. These false teachers are different from the ones that are teaching perfection. These false teachers are, are not teaching the gospel. Rather, they are preaching to justify their own sin and their own desires. Their God is their belly. That means that they are seeking to fulfill their sensual pleasures. They are seeking to please themselves and not please the Lord. They glory in their shame. This means that they show off things that they're ashamed of, or that God is ashamed of. And they celebrate things that offend God. These teachers are only after more riches, more fame, and more stuff. And they are misleading the church. They're misleading people into thinking that true happiness is not found in God, it's found in the world. They're tricking people into seeking fulfillment in things that will never fulfill. And that's what brings Paul to tears. These false teachers are teaching worldliness and it is leading people straight to hell. And unfortunately, we still see this today as well, don't we? Worldliness is a great struggle for the church. There are a lot of good things in our world, but none of it. There is nothing in this world that can ever replace Jesus. And that is why who you follow matters. So who influences you? Who are you listening to? Do they show you Jesus? Do they encourage you to walk more in step with him? One of the great ways to kind of discern this is to, to, to ask the question, how much of the cross do I see in this person? If a person, through their words and actions, you can see the cross, the implications of the cross, then they, they're worthy of imitation. But if you see very little of the cross, or even none of the cross in what they say and do, then you should not be following them. I think this is especially true for the teenagers here. Whether you realize it or not, our culture is trying to influence you. They are trying to teach you what to say, what to think, how to live. They promise you all kinds of things like happiness and acceptance and love. But none of it is truly real. Only in Jesus will you ever know true love. Only in Jesus will you be fully accepted. Only in Jesus will you truly be happy. Do you have people in your life who are pointing you to him? The examples we have, uh, they matter because they will help us either to press on or they will lead us astray. So as we seek to press on, we need to recognize that this is not going to be easy, therefore we are called to persevere. And a great motivation for perseverance 
is to know what's at the end of this race, to know what is at the finish line of this race, to know what the prize is, as as he mentions earlier. And we see a greater glimpse of this in verses 20 and 21, when Paul reminds us that our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself. So Paul reminds us that we are citizens of heaven. This means that this world, the world we live in right now, is not our home. We are made for another. And Jesus is preparing us for that world. One of the reasons that we're called to press on is because it makes us more and more like Jesus, which means it makes us more and more suited for our real home. But even that is not enough. The glorious promise for us here is this. Not only has Jesus redeemed your soul, but he will also redeem your body. We will be transformed into glorious bodies like his own. Our bodies will be made fit for our heavenly dwelling. And we will be like Jesus. Listen to these words from 1 John. He writes, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has, yet, has not yet appeared. But we know that when he appears, we shall be like him. Now think about that. There is coming a day when you will have a body that will no longer age, that will no longer wear down. You'll have a body that will no longer ever get sick. That cancer you have will be no more. There will no longer be viruses like the coronavirus. That heart condition will be gone. You will have a body that will no longer be subject to weakness or injury or weariness. You will have a body that will no longer be subject to sin. We will be with Jesus in heaven in the presence of God our Father and we will worship Him and enjoy Him more than we can possibly imagine. And because we will have glorified bodies, we can enjoy that worship without ever growing tired or weary. Think about that. What joy will that be? Do you long for that day? Do you pray that that day will come soon? Yesterday on our way home from the beach, now I'm sure no one here has ever experienced this before, but our oldest asked probably at least a hundred times whether or not we were home yet, or how much further do we have to go, or is four hours a long time? We heard that over and over again, and that's because he was longing to be home. And that should be our attitude as well. Yes, we live here in this world. We need to make the most of this world. But this is not your home. Your home is with Jesus. Do you long for that day? Are you constantly asking your father, how much longer? How much longer? When will we get there? When will I get there? The more that we keep our eyes focused on this prize, the more joyfully we'll be able to press on despite whatever circumstances God sends our way. Now, there are many people in our world that think that this life now, the life we're living right now, is as good as it's ever going to get. They don't believe that there's anything that happens after death, that this is all there is, and this is the best it's ever going to be. If this is as good as it's ever going to get, why even press on? What hope is there in that? Well, Brothers and sisters, your life is not all that there is. This is not as good as it's ever going to get. You have a glorious future ahead of you. Jesus did not come to make your life better for this world. He came to to give you a new life and to prepare you for the life that is to come. 
where you will live alongside Him in a glorified body, living the rest of eternity with an inexpressible joy and happiness. But until that day comes, you have work to do. You're called to press on. You're called to, to seek to know Jesus better and better. The one who loves you unconditionally and fully. The one who gave his life upon the cross so that you could spend eternity with him. The one who rose from the grave defeating sin and death. And the one who has promised to return. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Let us pray. Lord, we do thank you for both challenging and encouraging words that are before us. For we, as, as your followers, are commanded to press on. And yet, we would confess that's not easy to do. But you've given us your spirit to guide us and to mold us, to enable us to press on in humility and dependence upon you. Lord, forgive us for the many times that we seek happiness in things of this world. Forgive us for the times that we actually desire to stay in this world rather than to go and be with you. Lord, remind us of the glorious future that awaits us because of Jesus. Remind us that there is coming a day when we will receive glorified bodies and we will spend all eternity celebrating and worshiping you and never grow weary, never grow tired. What a day that will be. Give us a longing for that day. And we ask this in Jesus' name.